From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Upstate recently opened a vector biocontainment lab, and today I'm pleased to be speaking about that with Dr. Saravanan Thangamani. He's a professor of microbiology and immunology, and he's known internationally for his expertise on ticks and tick-borne diseases. He's also the director of the new Upstate Vector Biocontainment Lab. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Thangamani. Um, thank you. I really appreciate having me again. Well, I'd like you to tell us about this new lab. I know it's a first-of-its-kind facility in central New York, but what is it for? So the Vector Biocontainment Lab, otherwise known as VBL, is a dedicated and integrated biocontainment facility to work with arthropods like ticks and mosquitoes in level 1, level 2, and level 3 laboratory. In addition to that, we can actually work with the BSL-3 agents, and also we have a human challenge suite. So basically what, what sets this apart from other facilities is that we can actually work with all these agents by infecting ticks and mosquitoes within a single umbrella facility. And the agents of you know, uh, zoonotic pathogens of public health threat like SARS-CoV could also be investigated within the facility. So that's the flexibility we have with this facility. So it won't be just diseases transmitted by I think you said arthropods, but is does that is that all insects or what does that mean? So arthropods, yes, it's um, you know not necessarily in, insects, insect like uh, arthropods like ticks and mosquitoes. So we'll be investigating with uh, diseases or disease-causing agents transmitted by mosquitoes and ticks. On top of that, we have the capacity to work with any BSL three agent, any agent of public health threat, like SARS-CoV two is the timely uh, pathogen that we would like to investigate. So. Uh, in addition to Lyme disease or Powassan or Vesnal virus, we'll also be working with uh, you know, Zika virus, chikungunya virus, dengue fever virus, malaria, and of course, SARS-CoV-2. Now, you mentioned uh, one, two, and three level. What is, what is that about? So these are different safety levels. Uh, each level has its own uh, physical containment measures and mechanical containment measures that are defined by CDC. So the BSL-3 is the highest one. So we have redundant uh, safety facilities in such a way that we will be able to safely work with the pathogen or agent for the environment and also for the users. So we always have N plus one redundant uh, safety features built in within the facility. So that's the uh, one less uh, than the BSL-4 facility containment. So different levels of safety and precautions. Exactly. And also the, the, it also is defined by the agent level. So agent level, depending on how virulent it is, how you know, pathogenic it is, how easily it could be transmissible from one human to another human, it also, that also plays a role in what kind of agents will be handled in level two and what kind of agents that will be handled in level three. And that is dictated by CDC. Now, what you say, is it BSL? What does that stand for? So biosafety level. Okay. One, biosafety gotcha. level two, biosafety level three. Yes. Now, one other thing you mentioned was the human challenge room, and that sounds intriguing. What is that for? So human challenge room is uh, meant to actually, you know, as the name suggests, uh, we'll be actually exposing ticks and mosquitoes on humans to investigate certain disease uh, outcomes or to uh, understand if uh, a particular vaccine or therapeutics will 
will be preventive. It's exactly very similar to the clinical trial, but here we actually allow the mosquitoes and ticks to deliver the agents of interest. So we built in a small suite in such a way that uh, two humans can actually sit next to each other and they can put their arms into the sleeve where we will have ticks or mosquitoes ready on the other side from the facility and they, we will expose the human to a mosquito or tick for investigations. It's very similar to clinical trials. So this will help with your work on uh, learning more about how mosquitoes and ticks transmit diseases then? Exactly. So uh, this is exclusively designed for mosquito and tick-borne disease uh, investigations. The reason is that uh, ticks and mosquitoes, when they deliver, they actually deliver through the feeding mechanism. When they feed, when they take blood from us, and that's how they deliver the virus. So when we needle inoculate the virus or the agent, it doesn't mimic the natural transmission events. So we want to actually create an event in such a way that how the mosquitoes or ticks are transmitting disease to humans in a natural setting. Now, are scientists from other institutions able to make use of the lab? Yes, of course. I think it is open for anybody who is interested to come here personally to work inside the facility. That For that, we will provide the training. Uh, on the other hand, if someone is interested in actually you know, asking us, hey, why don't you do this work for us, we'll be able to do that as well. So right now, we have researchers from SUNY Albany and SUNY Buffalo interested in working with us, and we have just submitted um, uh, federal research grants uh, for this purpose. Now, I wanted to ask you what's required of lab workers, the people that are going to be working there day in and day out, because photos of them show them suited up like astronauts. So, um, for anyone to work within our BSL-3 facility, they will have to go through an intensive training program. And uh, before, I mean, the basic requirement for someone to work in the facility is that they will have to wear N95 respirators or powered air purifying respirators, otherwise known as PAPR. And they will have to have two layers of gloves and a tie-out cover out suits. And then these are all actually one-time use. So when they, when they finish their study and they are uh, coming out of the facility, they will have to discard that, um, you know, um, <clears throat> this PPEs. So, but I would say that uh, one would actually go through an intensive training program before they can even independently work within their facility. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Saravanan Thangamani. He's the director of the new Upstate Vector Biocontainment Lab, and he's an internationally known expert on ticks and tick-borne diseases. So I wanted to ask you if you can give us an outlook for what you think the tick and mosquito season is, is going to be like in central New York for spring and summer. So the trend is going to be very similar to the past couple of years. At least I can tell past couple of years because that's, you know, since 2019, we are doing this for, you know, we are actually tracking the emergence of ticks and tick-borne diseases in New York State. Um, one thing that I would like to stress here is that we will see more ticks and importantly, we will see more disease-causing agent-carrying ticks introduced into new localities or counties. And that's what we are actually seeing because we now have two years worth of data that we are comparing season to season. And we are actually starting to see more, um, you know, disease causing ticks emerging in new counties. Well, I, I think if I'm uh, not mistaken, you've received more than 7,000 ticks from the community since this testing program started. Yes, you're right. So we are close to 9,000 ticks as we speak now. What can you tell us about? the ticks you've received for analysis? Are they are they mostly, I mean, we're familiar with deer ticks. Is that mostly what you're getting? 
Yes, absolutely. You're right. Um, majority of the ticks we got are deer ticks. However, we do get a, a good number of dog ticks and lone star ticks in addition to groundhog ticks. Uh, very rarely we get groundhog ticks, but we do get groundhog ticks. Those are the uh, ticks that transmit Powassan virus. Uh, but I must actually stress here that the data from our study shows that there is a significant increase in human exposure to ticks during the COVID-19 lockdown period. So what we believe is that this is directly attributed to human behavior during the COVID because people are being you know, asked to stay inside for a longer period of times. And then, you know, we venture out to do gardening, yard work and trekking and walking in the woods to actually, you know, do some exercise and keep ourselves you know, healthy. That actually inadvertently exposed us or forced us to expose to ticks. And our data clearly concurs with this observation. And it's pretty impressive. Certain counties, such as Suffolk County, even Onondaga County, we see a tremendous increase in human exposure. Wow. Well, that makes sense. If we, um, you know, there wasn't much we were told to do during the pandemic, but if you could get out and hike kind of on your own or with your family unit, I think a lot of people were doing that. So let's take this time right now, because people are still getting out as they are able to remind listeners how this uh, tick collection program works. If they, how should, how should they, what should they do if they are find a tick on them when they so get back in? If a public finds a tick either on their body or crawling or attached or from their yard or from their pet, they can actually pick the tick and put in a Ziploc bag uh, with a moist paper inside. And they can go to our lab website or now we have created a new website, a standalone website, nyticks.org. Once they go there, they can click on the tick submission form and they simply complete the form, which, is, which will take less than three minutes of their time and once they complete the form, a unique tick ID will be provided to them. And all they have to do is to write the tick ID on the Ziploc bag and then send to the lab with the address listed in our website as well. And the packaging instruction is also provided in our website. And as soon as we receive the tick in the lab, we will identify them, we will process them. And our hope is to get the results back to the public within five days to seven days um, from the time the tick was received in the lab. And as soon as the results are there, they can actually, you know, monitor their uh, using our mapping tool. They can monitor the tick that are present in their own county or neighborhood or in our whole state. So we update our mapping tool in a real time fashion, almost on a daily basis. So just to remind people, that's N-Y-T-I-C-K-S dot O-R-G. And I know this program is for academic and research purposes only, but I'm thinking it might be scary to find that a tick you submitted carried a deadly pathogen. So just because the tick carried a specific pathogen, does that mean if you were bitten that you, that you got that pathogen? You are absolutely uh, right. It is due to the nature of the tick biology and the agent transmission timeline. So if I can give an example for the Lyme disease agent Borrelia burgdorferi, it takes about uh, 24 to 48 hours uh, to be transmitted from a tick to a human. So there is a time lapse. So if someone finds a tick and then takes takes or removes from their body within the first 24 to 48 hours, there is a very less chance for them to actually have the Lyme disease agent in their body. However, it's not the same for all the tick-borne agents. Like Powassan virus, it is transmitted readily. As soon as the tick is attached to a human body, the virus is transmitted to the human. So depending on the pathogen, it is different. So you're absolutely right that just because a tick is positive doesn't mean that 
the agent is transmitted to a human. How unusual is it to find a tick that is not carrying any pathogens? So nearly 36% of the ticks that we received are, they carry at least uh, one disease-causing agent. And then I must tell that many of the ticks that we receive, they carry more than one tick, uh, tick-borne disease-causing agent. I would say that nearly 7% of the ticks that we get, they actually have more than one agent, actually. So a single tick bite can actually result or result in multiple disease outcomes in a human. You're working on creating an anti-tick vaccine. Can you tell us about that? So we have made significant progress in our uh, efforts to develop, uh, you know, a universal anti-tick vaccine. And uh, with the with the lab, the, with the vector biology lab that is currently up and running, we'll be able to test our efficacy um, of these, some of these candidates that we have tested against, uh, uh, you know, uh, tick, um, against, anti, against tick bites, basically. So, it, so the idea is that we will develop some, uh, develop a vaccine in such a way that uh, the ticks will not be able to feed on humans. So that's the, you know, umbrella idea. So we have made significant progress and we are actually working on it. At the same time, we are also, uh, using the same strategy to develop the transmission blocking vaccines in such a way that even if the tick is attached to us, it will not be able to deliver pathogen to us. So, the, like I said, the timeline of the pathogen is very important timeline when a pathogen is delivered to a human. Like for the viruses, they are immediately transmitted. So, basically, we need to develop uh, a dual strategy. In addition to anti-tick vaccine, we are planning to develop a transmission blocking vaccine strategy that will be uh, preventing, you know, virus transmission to humans as well. And this work is taking place in the vector biocontainment lab. Exactly. Thank you so much to Dr. Saravanan Thangamani, a professor of microbiology and immunology at Upstate and the director of the new Upstate vector biocontainment lab. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.